I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. Our scripture reading tonight will be verses 1 through 7 of 2 Kings chapter 4. Hear the word of God. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. And then he said, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels and not a few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all those vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. And so she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. As she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she came and told the man of God. And he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on the rest. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. This is your uh, word, O God, that you have given to us, word that is uh, in our Bibles, a record of the word that you gave to this poor woman, this poor widow, who lived long ago, but a word which was her deliverance. So it may be, we pray, that this word might be also for our deliverance, and we ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And so... We have the account uh, tonight about a woman in great distress. She's a widow, and uh, her husband was one of the sons of the prophets. And uh, in the time in Israel, in the northern kingdom of Israel at this time, there were schools of prophets. They were led by Elijah and Elisha. And this particular man who was her husband, was one of those disciples of Elisha. We don't know the circumstances of his death. We know that uh, he lived in a time in which Jezebel and Ahab were persecuting the prophets. It may be that he was the object of their persecution. It may be that he died in that way. We don't know. And yet here is this woman left with the debt 
we can assume that it was a debt that she, her husband had left her that wasn't the result of carelessness on his part. He was a godly man. He feared the Lord. But here she is, and the creditors are knocking on her door. And in those times, the custom was that if you were in debt and you were unable to pay it, then you or your children could be taken as slaves in order for that debt to be paid. Of course, you can imagine the implications of that for a widow. She would be counting on her children to be one of the sources of her support through the years. But a widow left alone without her children in that society would be left utterly destitute. So she is desperate as the creditor is knocking on her door and that is the situation that is presented before us. It is somewhat apropos that the passage we read this morning, I mean uh, just now, um, from Matthew uh, about the parable of the sower. And it occurred to me that you could look at the account that we have read in Second Kings, verses 1 through 7, through the prism of the parable of the sower. If you did that, you might think about this woman as a heart prepared to receive God's word. One. Two, you might consider this woman as the one who then receives the word from Elisha as she goes to him to hear it. And then thirdly, you could look upon the result of the miracle that is performed here, this wonderful miracle, as the fruit of obedience and faith on this woman's part in how, and seeing here, something of an example of the preparation of the human heart and the, the source of her help, the word of God, and then the fruit that is born by her faithful obedience to that word that she hears is this grace that God pours out upon her in supplying the need that she had to uh, pay this debt. So we see here tonight uh, these three things. A woman whose desperate heart is made known to the prophet. Secondly, the word of God to her, the instructions that she receives from the prophet. And thirdly, her obedient uh, compliance to that word and God's blessing upon her for that. And this is something that we see. So the first thing I'd like for us to think about tonight is this heart prepared by God to be the soil that is receptive to the word of God. What does it take to be receptive to the word of God? Uh, you think about this time that uh, we live in, uh, and we think of the time that... Uh, of Elisha and uh, Ahab and Jezebel and 
We have heard account after account after account of kings whose hearts are uh, dismissive, unbelieving, hard, disobedient, proud, not needing that word and find, finding the prophets the, the supreme nuisance. That word which, that prophet that never says anything good about me. <laughs> You know, uh, we live in a time of indifference to the Word of God as well. We, our men's hearts have grown cold to the Word of God. What does it take for someone to be receptive to the Word of God? Well, it takes God preparing that soil. It takes God preparing this woman. Hard to think of it that way. I think C.S. Lewis uh, is, has a famous quote that pain is God's megaphone. Uh, she's in pain, and uh, God is calling her to receive his grace. So often it is the case that the preparation of the soil that is receptive to the word of God is a preparation that involves hardship and difficulty. We see that in the response of this woman who, in the very beginning of this chapter, notice what she does with this situation that she said, what she chooses to do reminds me of the accounts of Jesus. In some ways, Elijah is a foreshadowing of Jesus. In some ways, the miracles that he, Elisha does foreshadow the miracles that Jesus did. We'll see that. But what does this woman do with her pain? Verse 1, And now the wife of one of the six sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. Now that took some doing. That took something for her. She unloads her heart. She makes her heart known. And the word there is, is one that is quite expressive. It wasn't merely uh, a feeble attempt. She was insistent. She cried out. She cried out to Elisha the prophet. And uh, what does she make known to Elisha the prophet? She makes known the condition that she is in. I am in this situation. These are the things that have occurred to me. She says, your servant. First of all, she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. This is a man, evidently, that Elisha knew. He is dead. And the second thing is, she says, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. This is a man, this man who was taken by the Lord is someone known to Elisha, you know that your servant feared the Lord. And here is a wife, a wife of one of the sons of the prophets, who is left alone and under threat of a creditor, who has come to demand payment for the debt. And this is the third thing that she makes known. The creditor has come, take my two to take my two children to be his slaves. Nothing could be 
uh, more heartbreaking than these things that she makes known. She pours her situation out to the prophet Elisha. And that's the first thing that you and I need to do as well when we are in difficulty, when we are in a situation in which we don't know what to do. We need to make known our hearts to God. We need to pour out to him our need. And that is what she does here in this story. She cries to the prophet. Ralph Davis says she's desperate, but she's faithfully desperate. I like that phrase. We can be desperate and hopelessly desperate. And we can sink in the pit of despair, discouragement, despondency, and depression. Then on the other hand, we can be desperate and be faithfully desperate. We can be in need and be faithful with that need, and we can go to the one whom we know can help us. Her attitude is very much like King Jehoshaphat's, which we have not, we've, we've kind of studied a little bit about Jehoshaphat. He's such an interesting king. He was a godly king, but a flawed king for sure. But there's an account of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20 of what he does when foreign invaders come against Judah, foreign Moab, uh, Moab and uh, the Ammonites come to Judah to attack. And in 2 Chronicles 20, we, we have Jehoshaphat leading Israel just as he ought to. But it's the attitude that he has when he expresses himself that is similar to the attitude that this woman has that I'm getting at. I want to just read a little bit of what he says to God in his prayer. And this is what he says. He says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them, the enemies of Israel? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's exactly where this woman is. Because Elisha says to her, what do you want? What, what shall I do for you? Verse 2. And you can imagine, you know, I, you know she's, she's just let this be known. And, and uh, Elisha says, what, what shall I do for you? I can imagine in her grief, crying out, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, there are those ways that we come to God sometimes and 
we actually have a plan in mind that we want God to execute for us. You ever been in that situation? Um, you, you, uh, you see the way out of your circumstance, and you come to God and you say, Lord, help me, and help me in this way. This is what I want you to do. And then you go off and pursue your plan. A lot of times what happens there is failure. But here's the better way to come, is to come to God and say, I don't have a plan. I don't know what to do. But you are God, and my eyes are on you. Help me. That's a better way to be. Rather than to be all ingenuous and coming up with ways, and aren't we frantic in that way? Ways to solve our problem. Instead, she says, in response to Elisha's question, what do you mean? She says, well, what, what would you like me to do for you? And, she's, and then he says, what do you have in the house? And she says, your servant has nothing. And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. So she cries out to Elisha, and she confesses her need. She confesses her need. I don't have anything. I have no solution. I don't know what to do. But I have this little bit of oil in a jar. It's so fascinating, isn't it? That Elisha should ask her what you have in your house. What do you have? A little bit of oil in a jar. That's, in her eyes, nothing. Just like when the disciples came to Jesus, and they had, he had uh, the, the crowds around him, and they need to be fed, and, and the disciples bring the loaf and the fish. And How is this going to help us? But they brought what they had, and the woman says, here's this little jar of oil. And so the second thing that I want us to notice is the instruction that she received from Elisha about that little, that jar of oil that she had, something that she had in the house. Verse 3, and then he said, go outside. So this is the word of God. This is point number two. This is she, 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 the soil is prepared. She's in need. Now she comes to the prophet and she hears the word of God. And this is the word of God to this woman. Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Notice that, empty vessels. He doesn't say go out and get vessels with oil in them. Get empty vessels and not a few vessels. Get a lot of them. So you can imagine this widow and her sons uh, running around to all of the neighbors asking for extra clay pots, empty clay pots. And so then Elisha continues in verse 4, Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into these vessels and when one is full, set it aside. So that's the instruction. That's the word. 
And so the word is, um, first of all, to be noted. Elisha's attitude toward her reflects the attitude and the compassion, the compassion that God has for those who call upon him in need. And you can contrast this, uh, his attitude to this poor widow with his, his attitude that he had uh, for the king of Israel in the previous chapter. He says, I wouldn't even speak to you if it was not for Jehoshaphat. But since Jehoshaphat's here, go and do this. On the other hand, you look at how he responds to this woman. I can imagine it to be a situation in which there's a great deal of sadness, a great deal of, of empathy and gracious compassion that he demonstrated to this woman in her need. And this is a reflection again of the compassion of God. And it's so important for us to know it does make a difference when you think about the person that you're going to, what their attitude might be toward you. Are they a hard line? Am I going to get asked a lot of questions? And am I going to be put to the test? Am I going to be run through the mill? Or is this a person who will listen? Elisha is, as a prophet of God, he is the representative of God. He is the bearer of the word of God, but yet he has about him the compassion of God. It's that compassion that we read about in Psalm 146. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God. Uh, if you have the Lord your God as your hope, uh, you are blessed. Why? Because he made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Not only did he make it all and so he has all power, but he keeps faith forever. He executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. And the Lord sets the prisoners free. And the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. And the Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Here is a widow. Here is a widow who is bowed down. Here is a widow who is in need. And she comes to the servant of the Lord who is a reflection of the compassion and the power of God. He is, a God. he is a God who has compassion, and he is a God who has all power. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. It's not, a, it's not for no reason that, that again and again in the Psalms, God is described as the creator of the heavens and the earth, and our eyes look to him who made us, who made the eye so it can see. He made the ear so it can hear. He made you and your heart in everything, in every aspect of you. He knows fully. And he is a God who loves his people. He is compassionate. It makes a difference if you know that, doesn't it? it makes you much more willing, much more ready this is the attitude that Elisha demonstrates as he gives her these instructions. Go 
Go outside, borrow these empty vessels, make yourself a nuisance to your neighbors, make them wonder what it is that you're up to. Why do you want all these vessels? I would love to have been a fly on the wall to hear all of the responses. Certainly these are strange instructions. Reminds me of Noah's Ark. God gave the instructions to Noah, build an ark. What for? He got all kinds of trouble about that, didn't he? Imagine this woman going around looking for empty vessels. The second thing he tells her is to shut the door. Go in your house, go in your room, shut the door. You and your sons, work this, follow my instructions, but don't let anybody see. So I had, you know, you've got a bunch of curious neighbors. What's this, what's this woman doing with all these neighbors? I mean, with all these vessels. And you can imagine, uh, you know, they're probably standing around, scratching their heads, keeping an eye on her house. So she has to shut the door to make sure that nobody sees what it is that she and her sons are up to. Why? Why private? That's a good question. And doesn't it say something about some of the greatest and the most wondrous things that God does? They're in secret. They're things that other people don't see. What is conversion? What is it to be born again? Does anybody see that? Anybody see the Spirit when He moves? No? The greatest thing, so many of the great things that God does are things that are done in secret. What, um, uh, Davis um, says, you know, in some churches, there's a lot, there's a practice of giving testimony and sort of letting people know all of the things that God does. And he says, well, here's an instance in which, which instead of giving testimony, instead of setting up tables outside so everybody can see the power of God, this is something she is to keep between her and God. So thirdly, then, we see, so we see the soil prepared through suffering and pain. We see her go to the one who bears and brings the word of God, and she hears the word of God. And then thirdly, we see her compliance and then the deliverance that God gives to her. And it's interesting, and you see this in the Hebrew scriptures a lot, Verse 5, so she went from him. She shut the door behind herself and her sons, and she poured, and they brought the vessels to her. And when the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another. And so you have this, you have the instructions, you have the word, and then you have obedience to the word. And it's almost an exact mirror, isn't it? Joshua gives the step-by-step instructions, then the word relates step-by-step obedience. And it's meant to show that what it is that God desires from you and from me is attentiveness on the first part, not indifference, but an attentiveness that is responsive, that does, that follows through. And here here is what she does. 
She goes out. She does obediently ask her neighbors for vessels. She, she, she gathers the empty vessels into her house, and she closes the door. She and her sons are there in the house, and there they begin. For Now, try to picture this in your mind. You, you know, you've got a little jar of oil. Every woman here knows she has a little jar of oil in her house. You've got a little bit of oil. She begins to take the vessels, and she pours Pouring. Now that act of pouring, think about what that implies. She only got a little bit, but she's got all these vessels, and she begins to pour. What's that mean? That's faith. That's faith and obedience. And notice, and, and the other thing to notice about this, this is something that she's a participant in. She's, she's given instructions that she has to follow. She has to, she has to do the certain things. And it's striking that, you know, there are times when God deals with his people in their history when he says, stand back, people of Israel on the, on, on the shores of the Red Sea. Stand back and see what God will do. You don't do anything. You just stand back and see. You see this kind of thing in, in the Bible where God does it all with no human participation at all. But here this woman is given direct instructions and she participates in these things. She gathers the vessels. She shuts the door. She begins to pour. All of which means that she is a listener to Elisha. She listened carefully and she obeyed what Elisha told her to do. She's a participant in the process. And it kind of uh, means, I think, that the Lord, by her doing this, built her faith. And it is the case that we are called to do certain things and to use the means of grace. We're called to pray. We're called to engage God on a daily basis. We are called to engage through hearing the word of God and listening to God on a daily basis. We're not just passive. It's not that we just sit there with nothing. But there is an obedience. But it is not an obedience that we don't create the miracles. God does a miracle, but he does it along the way as we follow his direction. That engagement in the word and in prayer and fellowship with the saints and, and all of those things that the Bible gives us to do means that our own faith is exercised. Our own faith is built. Have you ever wondered, have you ever noticed it to be the case that in those periods of time in your life when you have absented yourself from those things. You haven't been in worship. You haven't been paying any attention to prayer. You haven't been paying attention to the word. You ever notice how, how your faith atrophies? And, and you begin to question, and you begin to feel cold, and you begin to feel like maybe these things aren't real, and maybe these things aren't true. 
But as you are obedient in following the commands of the word of God and attending to worship and attending to his word and attending to the sacraments and, and engaging God, pouring out your heart to him in faith, there are several things going on there in that exercise of obedience and faith. You are being built up by God. You are being trained. You are being shaped by that word. It's interesting that Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, says he says to them uh, that they ought to give generously. How ought they give, give generously? Because that the Lord promises that he will pour out more blessing upon them if they do. So in the act of giving, more blessing comes. In the act of using what that little that you have, more blessing comes. You know, some of you think, well, I don't have anything. You do. God has given you life. He's given you salvation. He's given you a gift. In the use of that which God has given, as little as it may seem to you, that is part of keeping the flow going. It's part of God's working and exercising and pouring his own power into your life. So what I would say to you, if you feel that you are in a position where you don't have much to offer or much to give to anyone else, take that little that you think that you can do, that little that God has given you, and try something. Pour it. Pour it. And watch God multiply what you have. And so she reaches this point where she is at the end, and she, she says uh, to her son, go, go get another vessel. And he says, there aren't any more, Mom. And, uh, and, and at that moment, the, the pouring stops. What does she do then? Well, when the pouring stops, we see that um, she, here she is. She's got a house full of oil. You know, and in that day, that was worth quite a bit of money. That was me. I, I, I would get pretty excited. My mind would be going in a hundred different directions. I might forget about the prophet, actually. What did she do? What does it say? She came, verse 7, and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on the rest. Very striking to me. And she didn't, in all of her excitement and enthusiasm over what God had just done for her, forget about the word of God. Forget about the prophet who gave her the word of God. She goes to him and says, this is what has happened. And he says, now go and sell it. He gives her that instruction, and they, again, she follows the instruction. She follows the word that the prophet gives her, and she goes out, and she uh, sells that. And notice how the prophet says to her, 
pay off your debt, and uh, you can live on the rest. Now, here is a wonderful here is a wonderful example and a wonderful illustration of God Himself through the prophet and through the word of God to her, being her kinsman redeemer. You know, because, you know, in the Old Testament, you have this notion that a kinsman would be the kinsman's responsibility to come alongside and to pay the debt, to take over this uh, need that she has. We see that played out in the story of Ruth, where Boaz does this for Ruth. Well, here's this woman. She doesn't have a, a, a kinsman redeemer. But God becomes her kinsman redeemer. He gave her the oil. She sold the oil. He gave her the funds that she needed to pay off her debt. And she was released from bondage. And her children were released from bondage. And so God himself acts for her. What a wonderful thing. So this miracle is not only for us to learn about something that happened to a poor widow long ago. It's a sign. It's a sign for you to take notice of. It's a sign that points you in your distress and how you should handle it. First of all, go to the Lord and unburden your own heart to him. Make your need fully known. How do you do that? Well, God sent his greatest prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Elisha pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ in so many ways. His life is, uh, is, is a, in many ways, a pointer. And if you read the gospel accounts, you read miracles similar to Elisha's that Jesus did. Jesus is the last and final prophet. He's the word incarnate. So, and who are you or you and I? We are, we, we have a debt. You have a debt that you can't pay. And that debt is the guilt of your sin. And the creditor's knocking on the door on that great day when judgment comes. The creditor comes knocking on the door. You have the opportunity to go to God and you can ask him to be your kinsman redeemer. You can hear what the prophet, the Lord Jesus, says to you and follow his instructions. Consider the compassion of God that here we are in our misery and in our debt. He fully offers to you a complete salvation, complete payment of all that you owe. Consider to consider his compassion and his willingness to show mercy to you and then go to him. Go to him. Go to him immediately. Don't wait. Pour out your heart to him. Christ came and his death on the cross is the strange means that God uses to bring about your deliverance. His death is the payment, provides the full satisfaction to the justice of God. And 
His justice is fully satisfied. So now, like that widow so long ago, and knowing yourself to have a debt that you cannot pay, come to the Lord's prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pour out your heart to him. Trust in him. You know what? The Lord Jesus is glorified in, a, in heaven, but he hears when you do that. And he will lean forward and he will pour out upon you the oil of the Holy Spirit and you will find the miracle of new life. It's really the position that you and I are all in. We are the recipients of the oil of the Holy Spirit. When we come to Christ, we pour out our need and our desperation and our pain. He, with his compassion and love, hears every cry. And he will give you life. He will forgive your sins. Won't you? Believe that, won't you trust that tonight? Please, this is the time, this is the time to hear that word and respond to it. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you for this wonderful story, the love that you showed to this Poor woman points us to the love that you have shown to us in the giving of your son. We ask, O oh Father, that you would move each and every one of us, that our hearts would be those who hear it. Hear about this account so long ago and that we would act on it, we ourselves, Come to Christ that we might have life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.